As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It doesn't seem that long ago that Pep's Barcelona were the epitome of a well-run football club. Still with Messi. Great save by Buffon, but Suarez follows up, advantage again to Barca. Moving on from Messi and co was always going to be difficult, but a series of failings on and off the pitch led to a fall from grace. Only last month, however, President John Laporta proclaimed the crisis he inherited was over. But as the reigning La Liga champions' net debt climbs to almost £1.2 billion, is everything quite as it seems at Barca? I'm Ayo Akimolere. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Okay, so it's Barcelona's turn today for the second part of the Athletics Crisis Club series, examining the financial state of five European football clubs. I'm joined once again by the Athletics senior football news reporter, Matt Slater, and also our Spanish football writer, Dermot Corrigan, as well. All right, Matt, let's start with you on this one. We talked about Everton yesterday, and obviously it was a really good place to start based on the current news following their 10-point deduction. But how have the reigning La Liga champions, the European juggernaut Barcelona, got themselves onto our list? Yeah, shouldn't have happened to Barcelona, should it? Uh, it wasn't that long ago they were they were top of Deloitte's money list in terms of revenue. I mean, they're still they're still up there. How on earth have Barcelona got into this mess? Well, it, it's a it's a few ways, but with a very sort of specific thing that kind of pushed them off the edge. So. They, it's a classic tale of bad recruitment, sort of player power, spiraling wages, and then the pandemic. Okay, now the pandemic is an excuse that every club in the football industry can use. I think it is fair to say that it hit Barcelona particularly hard. One, but they've got a massive stadium. They've got the biggest match day revenue in Spain by a long way. And they also have this sort of fantastic side hustle being the museum and the stadium tours, which brings footfall to that stadium, to that place, pretty much every day. You know, I was there, what was it, last summer, summer before? My family went. 
And we bought merchandise, you know. So, you know, guilty as charged on that front in terms of encouraging their ludicrous spend on players and wages. I've taken the tour. It, it is well, divine. Well, there you yeah. go. Now, you shut that down for a year, it's going to hurt. So there's that. Now, those are the excuses. Those are the excuses that I will give Barcelona. And it costs them, you know, let's say 400 million quid, That you know, just the cost of, the, of COVID. But they went into it so vulnerable. And, it, and you can trace it back. I'd love to hear Dermot on this and where he, people closer to the club think it might have sort of got out of control a bit. And, and, and there's a bit of a kind of sort of Shakespearean element to this. They were so good. And how do you keep the good times going? They had this amazing player, Messi, but they also had this collection of homegrown talent and they bought well for a while. But sport is cyclical. And, you know, how long could you keep the good times going and how, and also I think, Barcelona, again, are sort of uniquely vulnerable to this due to their kind of ownership structure. It is a it is a, a democracy and democracies are not perfect. And how you win these elections to, to, to make all the big calls at Barcelona is you, you tell people what they want to hear. Yeah, I'm going to keep Messi. I'm going to go replace Messi with the next Messi. You're not going to win many elections by saying, yeah, guys, I think we need to come second for a, a few years whilst we just retrench a little bit and cool off a little bit on the wages and the spending. You know, is that okay if we just do cut runs for a while? That's not that's not going to win you many elections in Barcelona. So, but that's broad brushstroke stuff. I, I want to hear Dermot's view on is it is it when Neymar left? Is it the failure to replace Neymar? Is it the fact that Messi stayed perhaps too long and the wages got out of control and everyone else in the dressing room wanted a pay rise as well? That that's where I think you know the debate is. But it's it's democracy, it's poor recruitment, it's the pandemic. Yeah, I, I'd agree with a lot of what, what Matt says there. Like Neymar leaving was a huge shock to the club because they just won the the Champions League a couple of years before with the Neymar Suarez Messi front three, and that's what got Bartomeu elected. The elections were just after that, and he was you know didn't look like he was going to get re-elected as president. Then they won the Champions League, they won the treble with those three, and then he, he got basically elected. Um, like Laporta wanted to run against him, but he didn't have a chance. Then Paris Saint-Germain come and blow them out of the water with the Neymar deal. Neymar himself and his dad decide to go spending the money on Dembele and Coutinho didn't work out well. But a, a really big problem that they had was that the wage bill just got completely out of control. And Messi is is part of that. But also, like Messi and his dad would go to Bartomeu and to be like, you know, where's our pay rise? And Bartomeu wasn't a good negotiator. And, you know, he ended up giving the pay rise. And then everybody else in the squad went, well, you know, Messi's got a pay rise. So, you know, Iniesta deserves a pay rise. He's brilliant as well. Xavi deserves a pay rise. Busquets, Jordi Alba, all these guys. And then the, the guys the lower tier down, they also got pay rises. So everybody kind of followed Messi along, which, you know, it's understandable you want to pay Messi. And there's an argument that Messi paid for himself in, you know, trophies in merchandising, all that stuff. The argument that the rest of them paid for themselves is not there. So Bartomeu just lost control of it completely. And I remember talking to an agent of one of the one of the players, and Bartomeu just wasn't taken that seriously. There was a, a big divide between the dressing room and the boardroom that they had a nickname for him. They call him Nobitos after like a Japanese cartoon character that that's big in Spain. And he just, you know, it was like these guys are not serious at all that were running the club, and and they weren't. Then when COVID hit, as Max says, it, it you know they were they were already kind of out of control and having to sell players every summer, having to do. They had that interesting financial trick they did with Juventus with the Arthur deal. They did a similar one with Valencia with the goalkeepers Neto and Silison the, the previous year. Everything was was just trying to keep it afloat, push the problem down the road. Then COVID came, and since then, like Laporta has come in, and you know, I guess we get to it again. But he says that they've turned the page and everything is different now. But they're still just trying to push it down the road. They're trying to find a new creative solution that will get them 
hopefully to the next, you know, virtuous circle where they win the Champions League. Hopefully Pedri and Gavi and Anzu Fadi, Lamine Yamal. Hopefully they have this new team that's going to do it. But everything is like hopefully this optimism that, and as Matt says as well, that wins you votes, but it doesn't really um, help with the accountants. I'm thinking about all of this and I'm thinking about all, all this debt. And this time last year, we're talking about Nino Messi coming back to Barcelona. I mean, how preposterous was this? I mean, was this just a PR spin to try and keep fans on board? Or, or what, what was that all about? Well, I mean, just from the financial point of view, and then, I, you know, Dermot could tell you, you know, how real it was. Only if he was going to play for nothing, basically. Because, you know, that man knows his worth. His, his entourage knows his worth. And Barcelona couldn't afford that. No way. I mentioned the thing about COVID being the sort of trigger, if you like, the moment when the rest of us realised, you know, the, the, the car ground to a halt, steam coming out, the, the, the bonnet pops up and you're like, oh my word, how long has this been the case? Jeez. I think pre-COVID, I think they'd recorded something like eight years of profits, small profits, tiny profits, with already pulling the tricks that, that Dermot has alluded to, the accounting tricks. COVID exploded that. And the loss caused gasps around the football industry it was it was best part of 500 million dollars it was nearly you know 500 million euros 418 million quid boom record loss for a sports team anywhere and okay they have turned that around i'm sure we'll get we'll go into this in more detail because it is complicated with these levers these accounting tricks this sort of selling of future revenues they've managed to get back into profit but if you take those out it's four years of losses now in the piece i wrote I'm not necessarily saying that's the wrong thing to do. I'm just pointing out it's a massive gamble. All of us have sort of lived through the last years in terms of the, the economy. You know, all of us will have lived through austerity. Now, that was a choice the government made. You didn't have to do that. And people will all have their own views about whether it works or not and the impacts it caused. There are other things that governments can do. It can print money. It can keep spending. It can try and kickstart economies. That's kind of what Laporte is doing at Barcelona. He's saying... We don't have to accept austerity. We don't have to tighten our belts. We can keep winning. We can grow our way out of this. Now, if I'm a fan, and go back to the sort of the Everton conversation, that's quite good, isn't it? I mean, I, I, that would get me out of bed in the morning. I don't, I, I don't want relegation battles in Everton's case. And in Barcelona's case, because, you know, depending on your view of these things, they're more arrogant, I don't know. But, but their track record's unbelievable. Look, look at Barcelona's season-by-season season record. There's a sort of spell in the 60s and 70s where, you know, they're like third or fourth. But apart from that, their history is first, second, first, second, first, second. So a guy saying, we're not doing austerity. I can sort of see how, one, that's exciting. Two, it might work. But my my word, the downside. The downsides. Oh, the last elections they had. Barca Socios had a choice between they had Laporta, who was selling basically what he has done so far, and then they had Victor Font, who's this kind of technocrat guy who made a lot of money in finance, lived in the Middle East for a while, was going to come back, and he was more around La Masia. He had Javi in his project, and it was all around like we're not going to splash out on your Lewandowski's or, or whoever. Even he didn't say it outright, but the kind of implicit message was it's okay if we. If we don't win the Champions League for another couple of years, we'll let these bunch of young players that we have come together. We'll be ourselves kind of this kind of little, well, little, but relatively compared to how big it is now, like a Catalan club with with the values that they have of La Masia and all that. Socios didn't want it. Like it, it made a lot of sense to me. And, you know, some of the people that you talk to around the club, maybe kind of the influential, more influential kind of socios in the Entorno, as they call it in Barcelona, ex-players, people like that were like, 
But then when you spoke to like the, the pollster types, they were like, this is never going to work. Like Laporta just has that charisma and you kind of had to believe him, you know, because the, the alternative was to see Madrid, you know, winning Champions Leagues, to see maybe the Super League starts and Barca aren't in. Or, you know, the, the idea that Barca would be a second rate club just, just doesn't occur to him. Like you could do things like raise the socios quota that they pay. If it's, a, it's owned by the socios, why don't the socios all chip in and, you know, double the price of a season ticket? You could sell off some of the, some of the players. But again, there was just zero appetite for that. The, the idea that the Barca would be a selling club. Super quickly, can we just clarify what you mean by socios, Dermot? Barca is owned by its members. You know, it's like 120,000, 140,000, something like that. People who pay a membership fee each year and they're the, they're the owners of Barcelona. In theory, the president has to, any plan he has, whether it's the levers, a big change to the statutes, has to put it to a vote. There's a, an annual assembly every year. That was a couple of weeks ago. And everybody in theory can go along to that assembly, can, can make a speech and ask a question of, of the president. And the president has to answer that question in public. So when there's an election, then the potential presidential candidates get together they have campaigns like in a you know american presidential campaign it's similar enough they have policies they have debates they they have to put a an agenda forward to kind of convince the socios to vote for them and that does have pros and cons as we have seen i find it's absolutely fascinating so when we talk about fan ownership in the sort of british english through that lens we 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 tend to be talking about clubs that have been rescued by their fans. And there is a sort of sense, never again, we're going to be sustainable. I'm thinking AFC, when we're thinking Exeter, English football's hard, right? It, it is hard and it's not fair financially. And a lot of fan ownership, it, it kind of works further down the pyramid. But nearly all those clubs in their DNA is a catastrophic financial moment. And there is a real kind of steeliness about we're not doing that again and they tend to be very sort of anti-risk taking even like Luton is a good example or Swansea they're cautious and then I see you know Barca and Real the attitude's different now of course they haven't had that catastrophe yet and they're also locked in this two-horse race this which I think is provides this sort of dynamic you know who one's up one's down we we, we can't be second to them for long you know that that just that just can't happen. It's just a completely different way of thinking about fan ownership. Often, when I write about fan ownership in sort of British terms, I'm writing about it as a, as a good. As a, it is an intrinsic good. These people have saved your club. When I write about <laughs> Barcelona, I do start to question democracy. I do start to think, yeah, mm, that's just populism, isn't it? And mm, this is fantasy football, and I can see how this might not work. <laughs> You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Ayo Akinwalere. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. I just want to pick up on something you said, Matt, in terms of this two-horse race, Real Madrid-Barcelona. This is also 
and we haven't spoken about it, this is a La Liga thing as well, right? For the brand of La Liga. You've got these gigantic clubs which have become world brands. And, you know, now with Messi leaving, people still tune in to watch Barcelona because they are simply Barcelona. What has La Liga's reaction been, Dermot? President Tabas, for instance. It's been super interesting to watch as well because Tevez has made a lot of his his career is around the financial fair play that they've put into La Liga. He was voted in with the mandate from the smaller clubs to to sort out the finances within La Liga, which was a total basket case before he came in. So they put in these strict spending rules. Didn't stop Barcelona up all those debts. But then when after they had run up the debts, La Liga were like, okay, you have to cut this from your salaries. And there's been all kinds of rows between Tevez and Pina Laporta. But they've kind of had to come to an arrangement. Like we've seen over recent times, they weren't able to re-sign Messi. They have had to, to make swinging cuts to their payroll. You know, people have gone like PK and, and Jordi Alba have been cut more recently. And they've had to find kind of ways to, to keep going. But they've been allowed to find those ways to keep going. And La Liga have, you know, they've accepted the Palancas. They've kind of gone back on some of the, the plankers are the, the levers that they did selling their, their future rights. They accepted the TV ones. They accepted the Barca Studios one. Now they've shown doubts about that, whether that money has actually ever arrived or not. And I think there's a looming battle with UEFA over that because UEFA have, have said that we're not going to accept the, the plankers, even the, the TV rights ones. They say that you can't just you know sell your mortgage or future and put it all into one year's account. It's like That doesn't make sense. And you know I'm not an accountant, but to me, it doesn't seem to make much sense. But the Liga have been... While publicly, you know, Tevez has been strong and said to Laporta, you know, you can't re-sign Messi, for instance. We're not going to change the rules just so you can bring Messi back. Even though I'd love to see Messi playing in La Liga again, you know, La Liga has to be one rule for, for everybody. They've kind of, over time, have been more understanding or, or more bending kind of towards Barcelona without bending over backwards. There's actually a stage before that Tevez did. Was he actually brought in the proper collective selling of media rights? So the historic advantage, the reason that Barcelona and Real are so much bigger than the rest, I mean, of course, you know, they're, they're probably from big cities and there, you know, there's a whole regional element to, to the argument and all that. But that kind of compounding effect of success, 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 European success is that they basically had their own TV deals. And Seves, you know, looking at the Premier League model and the success of the Premier League, where you sell TV rights collectively and you try to distribute them relatively evenly. It's not like your North American sport where it is genuinely shared and they have kind of hardwired competitive balance. But he introduced that and that sort of automatically, instantly put him at odds with Real and Barca. Whilst it's not quite as evenly distributed as the Premier League still to this day, he was reining them in a little bit. He was, if you like, taking a little bit of their pies because they do drive the media rights. They are the reason that most people tune in. For me, Tebas has always had this sort of kind of, he's always been on this sort of tightrope. Yeah, I'm the little clubs guy. Yeah, I want to really champion sustainability. I want a competitive balance. But I don't want to go too hard. I don't want to, you know, because Barca and Real are my best assets. El Clasico is the best piece I've got to sell. I think he sometimes found himself a little bit kind of in no man's land. And then you see this when the name I won, I think was the first time I really noticed. He was outraged. Outraged that PSG, these up, this upstart team from Paris, you know, bankrolled by Qatar, had poached one of his biggest superstars and started going into bat for Barcelona. And we've seen it, we've seen it a couple other times since. You know, he's 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 you know he's got this sort of personal antagonism now with PSG. And you're like, well, hold on a minute. Sometimes you're you're bashing Barcelona on the head, telling them to stop messing about and stop spending so much money, and then here you are having like another tantrum because another club bought one of their superstars. You know what? What's going on here? And I, I just think he's found himself trying to sort of do two things at once. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. And to talk about Real Madrid at their assembly a couple of weeks ago, Florentino Perez had a real go at, at Tebas, as he has done many times. And Madrid do 
feel that they and Barcelona generate most of the wealth in Liga, so they should get to keep most of the wealth. It's again a kind of a, an ideological kind of battle that they have going on. On Barca and the Leavers, they have mortgaged their future in order to sign, say, Lewandowski. So they sold like a big chunk of their TV rights for, for the future to get Lewandowski in to win La Liga last year, which which worked out well in the idea that that would kind of push them over the top, as kind of happened before in Laporta's first time as president, that they would start to earn way more money. The revenues will go up. They do this Barca Studios deal where they get money from, you know, they say they've got 300 million social media users, fans around the world who might pay, who knows, five euros or five dollars a month from America to get extra content. All that money could come into the club once they had a winning team. And then in the end, they'd be able to pay off the levers, no hassle. Not sure that's going to work out the way that they had planned to do it. But there is a kind of a sense to it that it does, at least in some kind of way, it could make sense. Maybe it's not going to make sense, but it could make sense. Damage just alluded to those levers, uh, Matt, and I know you've, you've definitely written about the levers. Can we just break it down, uh, what that means? So probably the best place to start is just remember what I said a couple of answers ago about Spain's approach to financial fair play, right? Where they want to see your revenues, okay, the, the amount of money you're bringing in, and then they're going to go, okay, let's have a look at all your costs, how much you're paying your wages, how much you paid for transfer fees, all right, okay, here's your budget for the year, okay? If you've got debt, we want you to be paying that off. We certainly want you to be moving towards sustainability. So you get, each club gets a bespoke budget. Barca was, after that catastrophic financial year 21 loss and the, the you know, the oh, the doom and gloom of COVID, it was handed a budget that no one at Barcelona was going to accept, right? That was austerity. So, right, what do we do? Now, we've talked about the things they could have done. They could have whacked up the price that the membership fees, they could have, you know, raised ticket prices, they could have sold a stake in the club. You know, that's what that's what happens elsewhere. All sorts of things they could have done. They didn't do that. They decided to sell chunks of future revenue. No such thing as a free lunch, though. You know, if you are selling chunks of future revenue, that means someone else takes that percentage. That means next year's money is a little bit down, the following year's money is a little bit down. Da 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 da. Right. So they first off sold. 10% of their domestic TV rights for 25 years to an American firm called Six Streak, a private equity firm. That's like, you know, the casino. The house always wins. So they got a once-off check, but for 25 years, they'll be paying 10% goes direct to Six Street. The following season, they sold off 15% to take it to 25% to the same people. So Six Street are now taking a quarter of Barca's domestic TV rights. That's significant. But they're buying it for less, and in the long term, they're going to make a lot of money out of this. Of course they are. This is, you know, Six Street win this argument every time, win this bet every time. La Liga itself has been doing a deal, a league-wide deal, with a different private equity firm that Barca Real and uh, Dermot will remind me, it was, I think it was Athletic Bilbao, opted, like Bilbao yeah, yeah. opted out of to say, we don't like that deal. It was a smaller percentage. Was it 8%, Dermot? Yeah, it's differently structured, smaller paybacks, but yeah, something like 8%. And, and it's over a longer period. But but the thing that, that Barca, one of the things that Barca objected to was there was a no European Super League breakaway clause in that league-wide deal one, right? And there was also a no opportunity to sort of to redeem it earlier, like you can with your mortgage. So they went with a different deal that doesn't stop them from breaking away from La Liga and does, I think, some point down the line, give them the right to sort of get out of the deal by sort of triggering a bubble payment or whatever, like you can with your car. So that's levers one and two. Levers three and four are so complicated, I'm going to let Dermot do that, because he's written an amazing piece about it. <laughs> but it is basically magic beans. They've sold some magic beans. Dermot, away you go. 
Yeah, it's about that the Barca Studio idea where Barca had a plan to monetize their their global fan base. So that goes back to Bartomeu. And again, it's not a bad deal. You talk to people in the industry, there's people who think that that's the future of, of sports, that in America they do it more, that the baseball teams, it's a possibility. But the way that Barca have gone about it is is not a possibility, really. They couldn't find anybody to, to actually come in and, and take the stake in the club. They talked to different kind of venture funds around the world. In the end, they got a crypto company, Socios.com, and they got Jaume Raures, who's you know an, an associate of La Porta, who's a big TV magnate in Catalonia, to also you know buy it using his funds. So they said they got 100 million from each of those a couple of summers ago. Turned out that they had a promise of 100 million, but they actually only got 10 million from each of them into, into the club. The league accepted that it was going to be 100 million, which caused Barca problems again last summer. So then this summer, they were like, okay, we didn't actually sell those. Well, Matt said magic beans, and it's it's not a, not the worst description of it. So they went out to find some new buyers for those, which was going to be a uh, a German company who said they were going to buy it or Barca said they were going to buy it. That still hasn't hasn't come through yet. It just means that they kind of created this future media company that was going to, in theory, be worth a billion euros that they'd be able to sell shares in and even could bring it, you know, float it on the NASDAQ was a, was a plan that they had to, to do and that Barca fans would be able to buy a share in the club. It's kind of, a, in a way, a backdoor way of privatizing part of, part of the club. But actually, they... Didn't really haven't really sold very much at all. Haven't really received very much money at all. How do you value something that's not created? I'm trying to figure that out. How do you value something at a billion that's not actually gone into production? I spoke to the guys who were involved in it, and they they based it off that. There's Barca have the 300, 400 million social media users around the world. They say if one percent of those are going to pay, I think it was twenty five euros a month. Then you come up with a hundred million euros a year revenue. Off a hundred million euros revenue, you can get a one billion euro valuation. Again, it's it's that type of you know venture capital startup I- idea that sometimes it comes off, a lot of times it doesn't. But it was a football club who was trying to do it, and so far it, it hasn't come off. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akimolev. It's the only club in the world has no money, but it could buy every player. Uh, it's kind of weird and kind of crazy for me, but at the end, uh, they find solutions. I don't know how, but uh, they find one. We're talking about gambles, yet Laporta says that the crisis is over. Barca still need to buy players. Barca are still buying players. I mean, how 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 is this all working at this moment in time, Matt? Last year went well. Okay, they didn't go so well in the Champions League. I think we haven't really sort of discussed that, have we? The, the Champions League element to this, and that was again one, you know, where we got clues that, th- that the wheels were coming off. You know, after an amazing run of Champions League success, it's it's been a bit embarrassing. They got hammered, didn't they, by Bayern eight two. Obviously, Liverpool that incredible sort of victory. So they've they've 
you know, from being this, you know, powerhouse in Europe, that it's it's not gone well in the Champions League. So, you know, we shall see if they can kind of turn that around. In terms of how they get out of this, I don't even know if they actually caught Dermot, are they referring to things like the Aspire project, you know, the whole redevelopment of the Camp Nou as a lever, or is that just, you know, regular business? They're very keen to say that that's portioned off into a separate part, that the money that they've borrowed for that has nothing to do with that's the, fine. the I, levers I, I and nothing to do with player wages or anything, because that was the only way that they could get it. It was very hard to get that money to, to redevelop it. They do say that in you know four or five years when it's up and running and the camp now is all bells and whistles and they're able to sell like VIP tickets for 500 euros and have you know meet greet the players after the games, all that kind of stuff that's going to come in, that that's going to be a, a financial motor for them. And they're trying to get across to that. Like the last thing that they did at the end of the window to be able to get Zhao Felix and Zhao Cancelo on loan was Laporta and some board members had to give personal bank guarantees that they would, you know, cover the, the losses. And if that money isn't paid over, then that money comes out of next year's budget. You know, and you've got those two players are on loan. So in theory, they're not there next year. Lewandowski scored a couple of goals last week, but he had the longest barn run going back years of his career, going back to when he was at, starting out at Dortmund, I think, came at the start of this season. And he's contracted up to the club until he's 37 on a huge, huge salary. So again, like what we were saying back at the start, that it's, it's pushing the, the boat forward. It's hoping that something will come along, whether it's this Barca series, whether it's the Super League, you know, that decision is coming up in December. But even if they get, you know, talking about that, this again, about what we might do in that, like they can win the court case, but that doesn't mean that the next day there is a European Super League. They still have to convince you know, clubs to join, which they're not doing, a, or they don't seem to be making much headway on. But of all the, the things they've done, all the stunts they've pulled, the stadium project is the one that makes the most sense. Because Camp Nou, an amazing place, big place, but had almost no premium seating, no premium tickets, no hospitality, very, very, certainly compared to like their peers. So, you know, doing something with the stadium so that at least you can overcharge people who are willing to be overcharged. You can keep them there longer, give them a nice meal, you know, you know, really, really sort of cater to that tourist element of the Barcelona crowd, which look, it's exactly the same at Man United and Liverpool and, you know, that's that, you know, and Spurs. Everyone's doing that now. So that makes sense to me. And they actually have borrowed a lot more money, but at least it's tied up in a bricks and mortar project. And I think they're building an arena as well. You know, again, it's about footfall. It's about bringing people to, you know, that place every day and spending money. And Barcelona is one of those clubs, one of a very small group of clubs that could actually pull that off. And it, and, it, and it could be profitable. So, you know, of all the stuff, that's the one that makes sense to me. You alluded to this earlier, Matt, in terms of the democracy that run Barcelona. And I'm just thinking, I mean, maybe, and this is probably not the route they want to go down because I know they've rejected it for sure, is that if you're selling bits off, I mean, you could just sell it off to like Sir Jim Radcliffe uh, or yeah, someone yeah. along those lines. Because <laughs> I know that was definitely in the billing. I read somewhere, maybe it's your article or yours, Dermot, that he was sniffing around and, and they chose not to. That could eliminate a lot of debt. Well, it, it could. Uh, and as I say, that's what tends to happen elsewhere, certainly in the UK. A bit like Manchester United. Indeed. And um, Sir Jim revealed this as a bit of a... <laughs> sort of talk about burying the lead. is a massive scoop in a book he... He, he was involved in uh, that was published earlier this year. It's about the sort of 25-year history of Ineos, his, his petrochemicals company. And there's a, there's a chapter in there about sport, all the things that Ineos have invested in sport. And just buried in there is, oh, yeah, I know John you know, Laporta really well. And I spoke to him about a year or so ago and said, you know, what are you doing with these levers? I'll, I'll, I'll buy half the club. 
I'll give you, don't do that. Don't mortgage the future. Ah, oh, but Laporta said we're going to go a different way. And he says, that will be a disaster, but oh well. Now, look, I think it's very unlikely that this proud Catalan institution with all the history wrapped up in Barcelona is going to agree to sell 50% of the business to some, you know, some Brit that, that you know, just likes football. Could they have sold, given that they're selling chunks of future revenues, could they have sold 10%, 15%, 20%? Yeah, I, I think they could. But, you know, Dermot will know better than I. Has, has anyone ever actually stood before the socios and said, guys, what's your record? Should we put that to the vote? No, it's it's the the third rail of of Catalan politics will be to to privatize the club that it's uh, it's just not seen even it's used as a as a way of different candidates attacking each other or one of the criticisms of Laporta now that's starting up there's surprisingly little criticism really about him but one of the criticisms is that it is the levers and the Super League as well is is a kind of privatizing Barca by the by the back door it's taking away the power that the socios have to actually make decisions. Also, you know, what's in the deal about financing that the stadium is also arguably another way of of at least taking power away from the socios and maybe privatizing the club. Madrid are doing that as well with their deals with with Legends and Sixth Street as well, because it is the way that they like Madrid are have their financial kind of ups and downs as well, but they're you know better run than than Barcelona. They're an argument against the or for a control a very controlled democracy at Madrid. And they say that the Super League is the only way that they can, and these the levers is the only way they can compete with Paris Saint Germain or, or with Man City or with Newcastle. Now that it's impossible for a club to generate enough money to pay to attract the best players, even Madrid now are kind of proud of and Barca as well. I've said the players go there and the the club trumpet that he took a pay cut to join us, that he was willing to go and play for Barcelona. Or, or play for Madrid. He could earn more at Liverpool or Man City, but he's coming to us because of our charisma, our history, our, our culture. And you know that arguably that's that's a good thing to be proud of. That's a that's a nice thing, and it, it's a it's a positive that Spanish football has. But again, in order to even to pay Bellingham a little bit less than he would have got a, in Liverpool or, or at Man City, you have to, to come up with these creative ways that have their their dangers for sure. Yeah, I just want to finish on uh, La Masia and Barca's reliance on it. I mean, just in Gavi injured over the international break. I mean, that's still a big asset for them, you know, in terms of players coming through. Lamine Yamal as well, who's come through, you know, at 16, playing for Spain, scoring goals for Spain, playing for Barcelona. They do have by far, like La Masia is the biggest asset that, that Barcelona has. It's like amazing the, the kind of institutional knowledge they have there, the coaching staff, the, the attraction that it has because, you know, Gavi didn't grow up in Barcelona. He's from the South Spain, he's from Andalusia, but he moved to La Masia age 11 because, you know, he knew that was the best place to to develop even people like Araujo or Pedri who came in as teenagers, you know, they got their finishing touches in Barcelona and, you know, have become amazing players or hopefully Pedri comes back. It's just very difficult for them to sell it. For Barca to, to be a selling club, you know, Madrid have sold a lot of players like Morata, uh, Hakimi that's at, at Paris Saint-Germain. You know, Madrid have done a good, decent job of developing players and selling them on. But there's something in Barcelona that just doesn't allow it, that it's not, it's not who they are. Like to try to sell Gavi would be similar to, to selling the club to to Saudis or, or Americans or whoever is just something that a Barca president would be difficult for him to get re-elected after selling off the, the best young players. Well, I, I agree completely with, with Dermot that La Masia is part of the USP, part of the DNA, isn't it? It's an amazing asset and they're very, very good at it. But just looking from the outside in, the, the best comparison nearly always for Barca is what's Real doing, right? Because they are similar-sized beasts. And Real are in better shape financially right now because they've got their recruitment a bit better. They have. It's just a fact. And they're, they're better at selling players, at knowing when to sell. They're just better at it. And I, and I think that that's really interesting that Dermot sort of says that there's a sort of a, 
kind of an institutional we don't do, we don't do that and I, I often used to sort of think that about man united that one of the reasons that man united are, are in they're not in financial bother but they're in this malaise right that they just refuse to sell players as though it's sort of beneath them madrid are super cynical like that like cynical in a business kind of way like florentino you know cristiano ronaldo comes and says i want more money and florentino looks at him looks at his age and says okay no you can go to juventus whereas that at Barca, they had to do everything possible to try to keep Messi. And even when they couldn't keep Messi, they had to say that we're doing everything possible to keep Messi. Even when they knew it was impossible, they had to try and sell it. Madrid can go, okay, Morata is not getting into the team. We're going to sell him. You know, they sold Marcus Llorente to Atletico, like across the city. Llorente won a La Liga title with, with Atletico, was one of the better players. It's hard to imagine Barca, even Sergio Roberto, for instance, comes through at Barca, spends his whole career there because he's just about good enough to be it to be in the team. But the idea that you could sell him for 40 million to, you know, Everton or, or whoever just never happened. Right. Let's leave it there, gentlemen. Honestly, definitely could keep talking about this more, but we, we haven't got two hours on the pod, gents. Anyway, <laughs> thanks so much for your time, Matt, and also Dermot as well. One final reminder that our Clubs in Crisis series will be running all week this week. So plenty more from Matt on this podcast as well. Now we have a very special Black Friday offer of just $1, one pound a month for 12 months. Head over to theathletic.com forward slash football pod to take full advantage of that. Please remember to rate and review the podcast if you're enjoying it. Thanks so much for listening. We're back tomorrow. A certain Italian giant will be under the microscope. Tune in. See you then. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark, with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. The Athletic.